What is up, mere mortals? My name is John Solo, and in this episode of the Messed Up Origins podcast, we're uncovering the origins of one of Johnny Depp's most famous characters, that goth weirdo who cuts hair. No, not Edward Scissorhands, the other one, the angrier one. I'm talking about Sweeney Todd, the murderous barber on Fleet Street. And no exaggeration, this might be the most intriguing example of adapting a written work for another medium that I've ever covered. See, most people are familiar with Sweeney Todd through Stephen Sondheim's Broadway musical or Tim Burton's adaptation of the musical for the big screen. But the original Sweeney Todd story was published in a series of Penny Dreadfuls. Penny Dreadfuls were basically the 1800s Victorian equivalent of true crime podcasts. They were pamphlets containing spoopy stories about criminals, detectives, and supernatural entities that were released to the public in weekly or bi-weekly installments. The original Sweeney Todd story, known as The String of Pearls, was published across 18 weeks in the winter of 1846 to 1847. And when I say The String of Pearls is nothing like Sondheim's musical, I am not exaggerating. Granted, this should be somewhat expected because stage adaptations always add their own creative spins, and Sondheim's version is technically an adaptation of Christopher Bond's play from 1973, so he wouldn't even have had to read The String of Pearls to write the musical. Regardless, I couldn't help being fascinated with the massive differences and subtle similarities with their plots, because as different as they are, you can still spot the seeds where specific elements and themes sprouted from in the source material. The musical portrays Sweeney Todd as an anti-hero. He's a bad barber who murders his innocent customers so his partner in crime can bake them into pies. His business would be one of the lowest rated on Yelp, but the audience still can't help cheering for him on his quest for revenge against Judge Turpin. Turpin is the sociopath who created this razor-wielding monster by ripping him away from his family and wrongfully imprisoning him for 15 years. Yeah, when you find out that happened to him, you can't help feeling sorry for Sweeney Todd, formerly known as Benjamin Barker. But in the original story, there is no debate that he is a straight-up villain. I will say the author does find some interesting ways to make the reader root for him, but he's still the most evil character in the String of Pearls, which is terrifying when you consider that he may even have been based on a real person. That's right, we have a lot of ground to cover with the origins of Sweeney Todd, which is why you may have noticed the part one in the title. Today, we're going to compare and contrast the most iconic versions of Sweeney Todd's story. And in part two, we'll finish up that comparison as well as determine whether or not this tale is based on true events like the legend says. So there have been a number of Sweeney Todd adaptations since it was first published back in the 1840s, but I'm going to keep this comparison simple and straightforward. We're looking at three versions of the story, the original String of Pearls, Penny Dreadful, the 1970s musical by Stephen Sondheim, and Burton's adaptation of that musical from 2007. Now, whether you love or hate the Burton version, there are two facts about it that you can't argue with. Number one, it follows the plot of Sondheim's musical almost exactly. Sure, Tim Burtoned all over it, but in terms of the story, it's almost a perfect recreation. Number two, the performances in the Broadway musical are infinitely better than than the ones in the movie. And I'm not just saying that to be a snob or pick on Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter. They gave it their best shots, but if you watch any behind the scenes footage from the movie, all they talk about is how the whole cast was made up of non-singers and how Tim Burton hates musicals. 
It's been really interesting working with Tim on doing this musical. First of all, it's been, because I know privately, because I live with him, that he hates musicals. So it's kind of fantastic that he's doing one. I don't know why he'd bother making a musical if he doesn't like them. These songs in Sweeney Todd are also infamously difficult, even for professional singers. Okay, same place. It's very difficult to breathe here. I know, I know. He hasn't left a lot of room. He hasn't left a lot of room for breath, has he? So the decision to cast his wife and long-lost son when neither of them had ever sang before is even more confusing. Especially when you consider that he could have recreated Christopher Bond's non-musical version. It just seems to me like he made it unnecessarily hard on himself. But I digress. Yeah, he thinks that Billy, our son's going to be gay because he listens to Judy Garland and I've just bring up, bring, brought him up on musicals. The point I'm slowly working towards making is that because the musicals are so similar, I'm really just comparing two versions, which is easier. Act 1. Comparing Characters, Catalyst, and Conflict. So the Penny Dreadful version, called The String of Pearls, is set in London in 1785. Already, this is different than the musical, which takes place 60 years later in 1846. You might notice that 1846 was the year that the first installment of The Penny Dreadful was published. The musical opens with Sweeney Todd returning to London after his 15-year imprisonment. He was apparently rescued from the water by this young lad named Anthony, who's nowhere to be found in the book. We never learn exactly what crimes he was accused of committing, but it's safe to say those 15 years in exile were about as hard on him as Sirius Black's 12 years in Azkaban. Todd has been reduced to an angry, revenge-obsessed shell of his former self, the man once known as Benjamin Barker. He's at a very different stage of his life than the book version. In the book, Sweeney is not coming off the most traumatic experience of his life. Quite the opposite, actually. He's been getting some easy dubs over the dummies in London for years, and his operation with Mrs. Lovett, where he delivers her the corpses of his customers to bake into pies and sell in her shop, is already in full swing at this point, and business is booming. In the musical, Mrs. Lovett's pies start out terrible. You might even say they're the worst pies in London, and they don't start cannibalizing folks until about halfway through. To be clear, in the book, we don't learn all the details of their scheme until the very end. That's supposed to be part of the mystery, but over the decades, it's become the most iconic part of the musical, so I figure it's pretty pointless for me to try to keep that hidden. I'm still not going to spoil the specifics of their process, though, because that is a little different than the musical. So the book opens by introducing the setting and our villain, Sweeney Todd, who's described as a long, low-jointed, ill-put-together sort of fellow with an immense mouth and such huge hands and feet that he was, in his way, quite a natural curiosity. And there never was seen such a head of hair as Sweeney Todd's. We know not what to compare it to. Probably it came nearest to what one might supposed to be the appearance of a thick-set hedge. Honestly, not far off from Johnny Depp's portrayal of the character, though that white streak is giving off some serious goth rock vibes. We're also told that Todd has an awful laugh that sounds like a hyena's, and there's a few different moments throughout the story where people that Todd is talking to are startled to hear him laugh, then ask him not to make that noise anymore. It's a hilarious detail that I wish they included in the play, but I'll get over it. So the catalyst for the book's events happens in the very beginning. A sailor named Thornhill enters Sweeney's shop and is never heard from again. You can probably guess what happened to him, but the book is real sly about it. It only says that Sweeney stepped away from shaving Thornhill to enter his back room, and when he returned, Thornhill had disappeared, leaving behind his hat, his walking stick, and his dog. 
who was patiently waiting for him outside. Now this dog would prove to be a problem for Sweeney because he was a very good boy and loyal to his master. So loyal that when a day had passed and Thornhill still hadn't come out of the shop, the dog swam down the river to Thornhill's sailor buddies and dragged them to Sweeney Todd's. If that wasn't clue enough for the sailors that something sus was going on, Sweeney would make it loud and clear for them when he opened his front door just to swing a metal pipe at the dog. Just awful, but it's a pretty hilarious image if you think about it. There's also a great quote from one of the sailors who says, we must inquire into this. There seems to be mutual ill will between the man and the dog. So the captain of the ship and his men asked Todd if anyone resembling a Navy officer has been to his shop, to which he truthfully answers, yes. But then he adds that the officer got into a scuffle at the market and was arrested. That kind of behavior from Thornhill wasn't surprising to his co-sailors, but Todd also told them that Thornhill mentioned a meeting with the daughter of a spectacle maker. With that in mind, they set off to see if they could track down their missing man. But curiously, Thornhill's dog was rooted to his spot in front of Sweeney's shop, so they had no choice but to leave him there. Now that spectacle maker's daughter I mentioned, her name is Joanna Oakley, and she's the namesake for Sweeney Todd's estranged daughter in the musical. Both versions' plots revolve heavily around her romance, but once again, in different ways. In the book, Joanna is in love with a man named Mark Ingestry, who set sail on a voyage to India exactly two years prior. Despite her parents' wishes, she faithfully waited for his return throughout the entire two years. The plan was for them to build their life together with the money he made from his excursion. Sadly for Joanna though, the reason that Thornhill planned on meeting with her after his appointment with Todd was to tell her that her beloved Mark had been killed in a shipwreck. So after Thornhill disappeared, it fell on Colonel Jeffrey to deliver the news. The Colonel was on board the ship that rescued Thornhill and his dog from the shipwreck that killed Mark Ingestry. So while he had no personal connection to the couple, he felt it necessary to inform Joanna so the poor girl wasn't waiting around in limbo. But he had more to tell her about than just Mark's death. Apparently Mark had given Thornhill a very valuable string of pearls to give to Joanna. So Thornhill's disappearance meant the disappearance of the pearls as well. Colonel Jeffrey does manage to meet with Joanna and fill her in on all of this. And to Joanna's credit, she didn't really care much about the valuable string of pearls. She wasn't too concerned about Thornhill either, actually. The only thing she could focus on was the death of her one true love. Joanna in the musical also goes through some romantic issues, but they're of a very different kind. In this version, her mother Lucy was sexually assaulted by the same Judge Turpin who had wrongfully imprisoned her father. And Lucy was so traumatized by the event that she drank poison to commit suicide. After this, Joanna was adopted and raised by Judge Turpin, who sheltered her from the outside world her entire life, then decided he should marry her just to keep her extra safe. Meanwhile, she really wants a relationship with Anthony, the young lad who Todd sailed into London with. So at this point, you've been introduced to all of the main characters and components of the book, as well as their musical equivalents. You have Sweeney Todd and Mrs. Lovett's meat pie scheme, Joanna's hopeless romance with Mark, planting the seeds for her forbidden romance with Anthony, and of course, the string of pearls, which go on to serve as Sweeney Todd's motivation in the same way as his revenge does in the musical. Because somehow, Sweeney Todd found himself in possession of the pearls that Thornhill was supposed to deliver to Joanna and he learns they're worth about 11,000 pounds, which is roughly 300,000 US dollars in today's money. In other words, it's more than enough for Sweeney to close shop at his murder factory and retire in a faraway land. All he has to do is find a way to sell the pearls and leave town without attracting too much attention. And the story follows him on this journey while Joanna and the sailors try to find out the truth about what happened to Thornhill. 
If you haven't figured it out yet, there are a ton of moving parts in this story. And as much as I would love to include every little detail because the book is full of great little moments and side stories, this episode would literally be hours long if I did. No exaggeration. So in the next section, we're gonna focus more on the musical story and connect every detail to the source material that we can. Act two, raising the stakes. So you know that dramatic moment at the end of the musical's first act where Mrs. Lovett reunites Sweeney Todd with his razors and he screams really loud about his arm being complete again? Well, I would equate the power that he felt in that moment to when he finds the pearls in the book because after said events, both versions of Sweeney start sprinting towards their individual goals. In the book, that goal is to sell the pearls in a way that's both untraceable and doesn't force him to answer any questions about where he got them. He tries a regular old jewel broker, but that ends up backfiring when he's asked to show the proper paperwork to prove his ownership. Poor Sweeney has to snatch the pearls back from the jeweler and run home through the most dangerous part of London, where he almost has the pearls stolen from him by other thieves and wannabe heroes who assume that he's running because he's done something wrong. In the movie, Todd's goal is to get revenge on the Londoners who drove his wife to suicide, specifically Judge Turpin and his creepy assistant, Peter Pettigrew. And to build some hype for his shop, he enters a shaving contest with Pirelli, who sells a miracle elixir that smells like piss. Here we have yet another connection to the book in the form of Pirelli's apprentice, Toby. In the original story, there is no Pirelli, but Todd has an apprentice named Tobias Rag. He's a soft-spoken young man who got the job through his mother. She thinks that Sweeney is just the kindest man, but throughout the story, Sweeney mentally and physically abuses Tobias so that he's too scared to report his suspicions about the barber's crimes to law enforcement. As fans of the musical will know, Toby goes on to work for Todd and Mrs. Lovett as well. After Todd crushes Pirelli in their duel of the shaves, Pirelli realizes that his opponent must be his old master, the infamous Benjamin Barker, who's supposed to still be in prison. He threatens to report Todd to the law unless he pays him half his profits going forward, but Todd doesn't like this idea, so instead, he chooses to murder Pirelli. In the movie, he bashes his brains in with a tea kettle, while in the stage play, he strangles him. In both versions, they slit his throat to finish the job. With Pirelli having disappeared without a trace, poor Toby has no choice but to live and work for Mr. Todd and Mrs. Lovett. Meanwhile, the need to dispose of Pirelli's body gives these two psychos their genius business idea, baking people into pies. And soon enough, their bakery is the talk of the city. Now, remember me mentioning that your boy Judge Turpin is trying to marry Joanna, his adoptive daughter? Well, you might be surprised to hear this, but she thought that idea was kind of gross. So she set up a plan with Anthony to rescue her before that happened. Only problem was that Turpin found out about that scheme. So to make sure that no man ever see Joanna again, he has her locked up in a madhouse. Once again, we have an element from the book, the madhouse, but it's used in a completely different way. In the book, we follow Sweeney's apprentice, Tobias, as he slowly starts to crack under the pressure of knowing his boss is doing something evil, but also being too frightened to investigate it or tell anyone. Sweeney had beaten him every day since he started working for him weeks prior, and worse, Sweeney was threatening to report Tobias's mom to the law for stealing a silver candlestick from a rich man whose house she cleaned. Todd tells Tobias that his mother will be hanged if the law finds out and Tobias is just too scared to risk that being true. What he doesn't know is that it was really Sweeney who stole the candlestick, and Tobias's mom brought it back to the rich man to save him from being hanged. Like I said, Sweeney Todd is no anti-hero in this story. He's straight up evil. 
do you have to do that right now? It's not like I'm a meat pie. So one night when Sweeney has left his shop to try selling the pearls at another pawnbroker, Tobias hits his breaking point and forces his way into the back room at the barber shop to find out what his boss has been up to. He doesn't find any bodies, but lo and behold, he finds dozens of ornate walking sticks, hats, jewelry, even swords. And that's enough evidence for him to decide that Sweeney Todd is murdering his customers. He doesn't know how because Todd has sent him out of the shop on errands whenever a potential victim has walked in, but he does know he has to get the hell out of there. Only poor Tobias doesn't make it very far. When Todd gets back from the pawnbroker, he sees that his back room has been broken into and ambushes Tobias at his mom's house. Then, when Mrs. Rags sees how panicky and frazzled her son is, she trusts Todd with taking him to a madhouse for treatment. Here's the really messed up thing though. This isn't the first time Todd has had one of his apprentices locked up. When the previous young lad working for him got wise, Todd just bribed the madhouse to take him in and they killed him. It's scary to think that something like that was possible back in the day. Later in the story, we meet another woman in the madhouse who is set to inherit a bunch of money from her aunt, but her parents wanted it, so they had her declared insane before she was old enough to receive it. It's crazy. We're in the middle of a story where people are being killed and cooked into pies, and that's arguably not even the darkest element in it. Anyway, while we're on the subject of people being locked up, I should tell you that this entire time, your adorable dog, Copper, has been locked in my oven. Okay, not really, but I do kind of hope that at least one of you has a dog named Copper that you maybe hadn't seen in a while, so you thought, whoa, did he really kidnap my dog? I would never, but there really is one other character who's being imprisoned against as well, besides Joanna and Tobias. You haven't met him yet. He's Mrs. Lovett's assistant. Like I mentioned, Lovett's Pie Shop is London's premier meat pie palace from page one of the book, and she needs a helping hand to satisfy all those customers. But remember, Lovett's pies are made out of people, so the only way to keep those herbs and spices a secret is to make sure that whoever's helping her can't tell anyone. And the only way to do that is by imprisoning them in the bakehouse. Lovett chooses her assistants using a similar strategy to the one Sweeney uses to choose his victims. When an outsider or newcomer to London, someone without any loved ones to check in on them, stops by her shop asking for work, she leads them into the bakehouse. She tells them you can live here as long as you want and eat as many pies as you want, but there are two rules. Make the pies when I tell you, and as long as you work here, you can't ever leave. And usually, these desperate individuals would accept her offer, assuming they could leave when they quit the job. Oh, but how wrong they were. Whenever an assistant stopped cooperating or figured out that the meat they were stuffing into pies was human, Sweeney would enter the bakehouse through a hidden entrance and crush their skull with a hammer. Then, the former assistant would be baked into pies by the next poor schmuck they lured down there. We aren't told much about our current assistant, but at this point in the story, he's been down there for a few weeks, and as you can imagine, he's starting to lose his cool. He still hasn't realized that he's making people pies, but he's found some creepy-ass messages written on walls and scraps of parchment claiming that anyone who stops cooking will have their throat slit during the night. So while he may not know much, he's pretty sure that if he wants to live, he has to keep working. And in the meantime, he'll have to find a way to break out of the underground labyrinth that he's been locked inside of. And you will have to wait until next week to see if that happens, as well as what happens to Tobias and Joanna. What horrors are waiting for them at the madhouse on Peckham Rye? Will Sweeney Todd find a way to sell his pearls? And don't forget about the sailor's investigation into the barber shop. We're going to be tying up all of those loose ends next week in the epic finale of our annual Spoopathon. 
and we'll be looking at the real world events that led to this story's creation. In the meantime, don't forget to embrace your inner Sweeney and slit the throats of those five star and follow buttons so you don't miss part two. In the meantime, don't forget to embrace your inner Sweeney and slit the throat of those like and subscribe buttons so you don't miss part two. Until we meet again next Thursday, my name is John Solo, and don't forget, John shot first. Thank you.